Michael Pina, welcome to the podcast. OG Stephen LeBron radio guest. You remember those days? Of course. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yeah. What's new, man? How's New York doing? I already had this conversation with you off air. I apologize. <laughs> New York is great. Uh, a lot better than it was a few months ago. As I told you when we were talking about this before we started to record, but I'm sure the listeners would love to hear us double back. Um, the weather is great, which is wonderful. And there's a lot of uh, the restaurants are like opening up for outdoor dining, which is great. And my wife and I went to this barbecue place in Red Hook last night, ate outside. It was glorious. I think I know that exact barbecue place. Do you remember the name? Hometown Barbecue. Hometown. Exactly. Yeah. So um, good. Yeah. Red Hook, uh, a little bit out of the way, a little bit out of the way for you too, right? A little bit, yeah. We walked, and it took about an hour. So, yeah, a little. You could call that out of the way, I guess. Yeah, I feel like because I feel like I only went to Red Hook when I lived in New York. I only went to Red Hook like twice, one time for the barbecue, and then there's a really good key lime pie place there. I want to say, oh, um, and that's the extent of my knowledge about Red Hook. When did you move to New York? I want to say two septembers ago i think maybe okay. three septembers ago yeah because i was thinking about that today i definitely missed you being in new york because we did I not back we did Toronto, not overlap. i think three years ago yeah we didn't yeah. overlap because I, I have a lot of memories uh of me and james herbert uh at brooklyn nets games uh, mm. when there was just nothing to do uh, because the Brooklyn Nets were terrible. Uh, As opposed to now when there, there's just this absolute juggernaut that needs to be feared by the rest of the NBA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can you uh, t- uh, confirm that Chris Chioza is a real NBA player, by the way? I, I can do no such thing. <laughs> okay, because I've heard a lot about this, guys. I feel like people are just making up names now. And I feel like you can do that, especially in this NBA bubble situation. And just teams are signing all these substitute players. Uh, but that might just be me uh, actually the last time i saw you was one of the last times i was like out uh in chicago at all-star remember we mm. had a great time all-star saturday 19 years ago yeah at least i had a great time can you just confirm that you had a great time because you kind of just ignored that part no I, I had a wonderful time particularly when we were conversing because our seats were right next to each other for two of the nights i think right yep i want to say i hung out with you on the friday and the saturday yeah which are the only nights that matter Exactly. And uh, you just kept uh, bringing up the Boston Celtics uh, unprompted is, I think, what happened, which I think will happen on this podcast as well. So uh, that was good uh, preparation for me. So, you know, the NBA bubble is, you know, here now. Um, You know, we've gotten a lot of social content. Um, Any kind of uh, early, you know, favorites in terms of the content that's come out of the bubble for you? I mean, uh, right off the top, I... Um, I would say not super excited about the fact that the bubble exists, but I don't know how much you want to go down that path of discussion. Um, cause your boy, Fred Van Fleet, he had, when he did his, uh, interview with the media, he highlighted that he thought it was probably not the best thing for the league to come back right now. And I, I echo his words and the words of some other players, but if we're going to keep it light, which I understand that is the tone of this podcast, um, I would say 
my favorite thing, and I said this before on uh, another podcast, not to like double dip here. I will say the, I, I just love the fishing pictures, like the players who are holding up their bass. And I just really want one player. I thought uh, Jarrett Allen was going to do it, the Brooklyn Nets Center, who is an actual person. Um, I thought he was going to, because uh, he, he posted this video of himself on the water, like they're going fishing and he's like really excited. And he's someone who would admit that he didn't catch any fish. But he did. He held up a bass like 20 minutes later, posted a picture of it. I just want some players to admit that either they've been out there for five hours trying to get one or they just couldn't make it happen. Because I just think this whole thing defeats the purpose of fishing. Like, what is the challenge here? Everyone's catching humongous humongous sea bass. Yeah. And in my limited experience with fishing, that's just not how it works. No. Uh, Most of the time, uh, absolutely nothing happens. And listen, I'm with you uh, on the bubble stuff uh, in that, you know, this happening in the backdrop of, you know, not just Florida, but literally they're like, there's like a blue, I think, fence uh, where it divides the NBA players from like actual people going to Disney World right now Mm -hmm. uh, is really dystopian. Um, And I think we're, we're all talking about basketball, but also acknowledging that, you know, this is happening in the middle of a global pandemic, but the NBA has you know, insisted on moving forward with this. And I do hope they're able to pull it off, um, you know, without, uh, you know, anything kind of terrible happening in terms of the virus spreading. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to follow Adam Silver's lead on this one uh, and let you know, Michael Pina, that sports is going to heal us all. (laughs) Sports are going to cure everyone. Anyone who's having a mental health issue right now, as, as Mark Cuban said, uh, sports are going to just cure all of it. So I'm really happy for that. That's great. Um, and the global pandemic is obviously a, a, a humongous roadblock for this to happen and go off without a hitch. And then there's also like, yeah, there's the continuous momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement, which I am in the corner where I just believe that this will be a distraction because inherently the NBA is a distraction, right? That's like what we watch to uh, relieve ourselves of the stresses of uh, our normal, typical lives. And so typically that's good in normal situations. Right now, I don't feel it's necessary, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I know we're going to talk about basketball and I'm excited to talk about basketball with you. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, You know, this uh, just an open uh, challenge to Tillman Fertitta to donate all of the revenue that he makes from this bubble uh, to social uh, justice causes, especially since uh, the NBA has now partnered with his restaurants. Mm. And this man is literally paying uh, Daniel House Jr. with delivery fee money. Uh, so uh, there's something wrong with that. We need to look into that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, aside from the fishing, mm-hmm. is uh, the shotgunning of the beers yes. that are happening. I believe J.J. Redick, uh, Myers Leonard are two of the players who have done that. First of all, this NBA Bubble Life Twitter account, is this run by somebody we know? Do you have uh, any insider information on this? I've been thinking about this because I was scrolling through it the other day. It's got to be someone... I don't think it's anyone in media, right? Like, I think it's someone who works for the league. It has to be, right? That's, 
that's actually a really good call. I feel like the tone of it, and obviously they could purposely uh, like provide a particular tone, right? Like if I was running like a ghost account, you know, I'd probably talk a little differently too, um, just to hide my identity. But it does sound like it's like a fan, like an actual fan that's following this. That's yeah, like the vibe it, that I get from it. Sometimes the vibe I get from it is like the Steve Buscemi, uh, how are you doing fellow kids <laughs> meme. that's Um, a vibe i've been giving off online for five years (laughs) you know you never realize when you become uh the steve buscemi with a skateboard it creeps uh, up until it just happens it it just happens one day one day you look around and you're like oh wow i'm the one that's dropping all the lame jokes online all right that's how it works um so no disrespect to whoever runs that account or how many people are running that account but that's the vibe i get sometimes but then it's also super useful you can just go over there see everything that's happening in one place uh right before we started to record they tweeted at lebron asking if they could see lebron's room that's like real journalism to me i want to see lebron's room man (laughs) yeah that's if lebron is even living on campus right now anyways so uh the shotgunning of beers have you ever shotgunned a beer before because i need someone to explain this to me oh have i ever shotgunned a beer um (laughs) what is the purpose to inject alcohol into your bloodstream as quickly as possible is the purpose so basically this is like the toxic masculinity championship Mm -hmm. yeah no that's fair um I have, I mean, going back to, I mean, my first experiences with alcohol were drinking games and shotgunning beers and like slamming a pencil into the side and trying to carve it up with the pocket knife that's attached to your phone or your key chain. Um, It's really disgusting thinking back on how many times I've done it and (laughs) trying to get back into that mindset is pretty gross and disturbing, but it is fun to see. I mean, I I enjoyed watching JJ Reddick just sit in a kiddie pool and shotgun a beer out of nowhere. That was, that was nice to see, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It it just seems like a whole process um, for a few seconds of fame. But I guess, you know, maybe instead of the hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July, they should have this. Just a beer shotgunning thing. Or maybe they already have it and I don't know. I am not aware of its existence. Um, Maybe it should happen. I feel like that would be bad for the participants' health, whoever was involved in it. But uh, so was, you know, eating 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes or whatever it is. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, the most disgusting thing is when they dip the hot dog in water. It's so gross. Because like, I get it. I guess it helps you like digest it easier. And it's like, what's the point? Anyways, nothing more <laughs> like a, a Steve Fashemi skateboard meme than asking a guest on a podcast to explain uh, what shotgunning beers mean. <laughs> so on to basketball. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I've talked about the Lakers and Clippers on this podcast. Um, you know, we all know about the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to talk to you about kind of the next tier of uh, contenders in this group. <laughs> uh, I know you're laughing because I yeah. told you by yeah. leaving the Raptors on and putting the Boston Celtics on because they're just simply not on the same level, which you can you can right. make your case. So we're going to go through these secondary contenders and let's start with the Boston Celtics. Um, 
Tell me about the Boston Celtics, Michael Pina, why they can be a problem in the Eastern Conference. Okay, so, I mean, when you're just looking at teams that are contenders, you, you kind of want to start with, obviously, like point differential and how they're how successful they are on both sides of the ball and outscoring opponents. And I mean, the Celtics have been impressive on both ends the entire season. They have uh, two all-star caliber players or two players who actually made the all-star team. One of whom, um, who is in my opinion already, I think he's a top 10 player. And I think by the end of the bubble experiment, assuming that all the games go off without a hitch and we crown a champion, I think Tatum will be universally seen as a top five two-way player because what makes him so effective is not only the ability to score, pull up threes, mid-range game, get to the basket, draw fouls, uh, excellent in crunch time, he's go-to. But defensively, he's just a total monster and will make multiple all-defensive teams. So he's like the ideal player that you want as your best player, which he is right now for the Celtics. And then you just have, you go down the line and they just have so many versatile guys who either have made all-star teams in the past or will make them in the future. Jalen Brown uh, could have been an all-star this season. Tremendous two-way player, extremely athletic. He upped and improved just about every area of his game from last season to this season. Last season is one that Celtics fans don't really discuss at all, and understandably so. This season, you add Kemba Walker in, who might be, you know, by the end of... He, he is dealing with a knee issue, and they're bringing him along slowly, so we should mention that caveat. But by the end of the playoffs or midway through the playoffs, he might be their third offensive option. And he is an incredible offensive player. So when you just kind of look at that aspect of the team and the depth they have in terms of their primary scoring options and their weapons and their ball handlers, uh, you just have to call them a contender. I'm sorry. And I, I, I... To say, I think they match up extremely well, where I know I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit. I think they match up extremely well with a team like the Raptors, but I would give the slightest hair of an edge to the Celtics because of the top-tier talent that they have at the top of the roster, whereas I think the Raptors are, have a lot more depth. In the playoffs, when you shorten rotations and you're playing Tatum uh, you know, 38, 39, 40 minutes a night, I think that that is what gives you the advantage. Yeah, no, I think that'll be a really interesting matchup uh, just because the Raptors are such a cohesive group on defense. And like you mentioned, uh, Jason Tatum has been so good this season. Uh, what do you think about his game uh, offensively uh, this season? Like where, which part of his game do you think he took the biggest leap? I wrote about this a l what feels now like 20 years ago, but was actually in February, I think. Um his growth just as a pull-up three-point shooter, and when he made that leap forward towards the end of uh, right before the All-Star break, when you know he was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, Kawhi Leonard that very night before the break began, and then before that, he was torching the Lakers and torching different elite teams. He was doing it with a pull-up three that was just like completely unguardable and unfair. And players of his size who can do things with the basketball, 
like that are just, uh, you know, very, very infrequently come along. Like it's, I don't want to compare him to Kevin Durant, but that is the Kevin Durant esque skill set that kind of separates him from everybody else. He can just step up and drain, walk into a three pointer, uh, off the bounce, crossover, dribble, three pointer, step back, three pointer. Um, so that the fact that he can manufacture three point shots, uh, and knock them down efficiently and effectively as consistently as he does is why I think he is so special. And to have that in his repertoire, not only aligns himself with where the game is and where the game is going, but it just, it, it makes Boston's offense that much diff- more difficult to defend. Yeah. Now that you've gotten your five minutes on, on that, can we move on? <laughs> sure. <laughs> No, um, I, I think um, those are really good points. And the Celtics, I think the one thing that stands out to them, you know, if you're talking about them versus the Raptors too, is like you mentioned, like Boston has played really well uh, against the contenders this season, whereas mm-hmm. uh, the Raptors have a pretty lackluster record uh, against some of the top teams. And, you know, I think, you know, while you can throw in um, kind of the caveats about, you know, Toronto, uh, having dealt with injuries all season, you, you know, I think that does go to your point of the rotations shortening, uh, you know, in the playoffs. And obviously just having the best player on the floor uh, makes such a big difference. Um, another important question for you in terms of Boston versus Toronto, uh, which fan base do you enjoy more on Twitter? <laughs> I, I gotta say like, I don't, I feel like I'm cheating, but I really don't enjoy a lot of the discourse surrounding the Celtics on Twitter historically. I think it's it gets really weird, and that's kind of come to the fore either last year or this year, where it's like they've it's been recognized as just like a weird Celtics Twitter that's kind of its thing. And I don't really like it at all. Um, I kind of opt out personally from all of that discourse you What's basically- what are the biggest what are the biggest topics uh on celtics twitter because you know like raptors twitter uh is basically a uh, hundred people with pitchforks if anybody even tries to compare kemba walker to kyle Lowry, <laughs> um and just reminding people that you know nick nurse has uh, one of the best winning percentages uh, of a head coach in nba history like who do who do celtics like twitter like obsess about is it um marcus smart i guess he would be the patron saint i would say yeah like if you come at marcus smart like yeah pitchforks are coming out there will be flamethrowers in your direction um i was gonna say though you are like the i would say you are the leading voice like for just getting the troops organized if that makes any sense like you are you you're the tone setter for Raptors Twitter, I would say. Has anyone ever told you that before? Well, you know, I think um, the proper word that people use now here in Toronto for me is I spread a lot of propaganda <laughs> on Twitter. Um, the the You know, I got to give uh, some of the other guys like Blake Murphy, William Liu, a lot of these guys, I think, um, really drive the conversation for uh, Raptors Twitter. But yeah, you know, I, I get in there. I, I try to give uh, Raptors fans just a little confidence Uh, Because, like, notoriously, the fan base, until they won the championship last year, uh, was, you know, just lacking in confidence. Uh, It was just a really 
insecure bunch. Mm -hmm. And and I guess losing to LeBron every single year and having him like pretend to sip beer uh, in game one of a playoff series uh, will do that to you. But uh, yeah, uh, I am, uh, I spread a lot of propaganda, you know, um, Matt Thomas still owes me a percentage of his contract. I was going to bring up Matt Thomas if you did, (laughs) but I knew you would. Yeah. We turned, uh, well, not we, I'll take full credit for that. I turned Matt Thomas into a household name Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, you know, the key is to just tweet, uh, never underestimate the heart of a champion, uh, every three days. And that's how you stay relevant in this game and extend your career by 10 years. Um, yeah, the yeah, uh, using the word uh, insecure to describe Raptors fandom, I would say, even though it's not like it's not just it, it doesn't make sense for Celtics fans to be insecure, but maybe that's like the really young ones who are on Twitter right now, and that's what I ascribe it to. Uh, but like you, when you've won more championships than any other organization in the sport. Did you know that, by the way, Alex? Did you know that the Celtics? <laughs> yeah, you right? know, I feel like every time I go to Boston, I think I've only been to Boston, I want to say, three times. Mm-hmm. But don't they have all the banners hung up at the airport? Well, the airport is like a total joke. It's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, the whole the city is just like a big advertisement for the professional sports teams. So yeah, you have um like I don't know if there's actual banners, but wherever you turn, there's Dunkin' Donuts, there's Red Sox propaganda. I do not like the Red Sox anymore. There's the you know Patriots, which is the most successful in recent times uh, professional sports team in North America. They have you know Patriots T-shirts, Patriots whatever everywhere that you can think of. So yeah, no. If you when you're landing in Boston, you're coming to Boston. They let you know exactly what you're in for immediately. Yeah. So shoutouts to Boston. I guess <laughs> I'm just saying that because you're here. I literally have nothing to say about Boston that won't sure. turn into a conversation about racism. Anyways, sure. on to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Michael Pina, do you think it is a coincidence that? Ben Simmons uh, couldn't even throw a fish back into the lake. And the following day, Brett Brown was like, we're moving Ben Simmons to the four. I'm, I just don't understand this whole narrative. Like when I look at Ben Simmons, I just don't see a position. Like, do you see a position? Like Brett Brown was the first one to be like, he's a point guard. And I think that that really confused and muddied a lot of the opinions about him. And it, it, allowed people to point at his weaknesses a lot easier but like I just don't see a position when I see Ben Simmons I think particularly on the defensive end when you can guard all five positions as well as anyone in the whole league which he can do it doesn't really matter what you're doing on offense I think he obviously needs the ball to be as successful as possible and that really is complicated by the fact that they have the best low post score in the game and nothing that I'm saying is like news or new or novel at all. But it just like I don't I'm not I'm like tuned out when it comes to, oh, he's a four. No, he's a five. No, he's a point guard. I just don't care at all. Like he's he is what he is, sort of. And I am very pessimistic about his ability to ever 
develop something respectable in terms of an outside shot. But at the same time, you've got to respect his ridiculous speed. You've got to respect his defensive versatility. And I think that he has all the tools to be effective, even in the playoff setting. It's just a matter of putting the right pieces around him and putting him in a situation where he can excel. And I feel like we forget like how great of a player he is, like even without, you know, a three point shot. Um, but like every, I feel like every era or like every few years, there's always one player that everybody is just going to scrutinize. And, you know, for sure right now, I can't think of another player that people scrutinize more than Ben Simmons. Like, you'll remember this. Remember when like all this, uh, like advanced statistical stuff started coming out? Rudy and Gay. Like Rudy Gay. Yes, Rudy Gay. I yeah. always remember how Rudy Gay was the guy that people would not stop talking about uh, for two years. And like, obviously different skill sets here between Gay and Simmons, mm-hmm. um, you know, totally different. Uh, situations but it really reminds me of that um in that people just kind of hang on to these things do you uh you know there's already been like a lot of talk um from people about how oh like you know maybe this ben simmons joel mb thing won't work out long term uh where do you stand on that i've always been uh not too bullish on that just because like i said i don't think that uh i don't think simmons will ever come around and if he doesn't shoot, then you can't really run pick and rolls with him. And I also think that you're really leaving a lot on the table with Embiid, who sure post-ups are great, and he's just an automatic double team, an automatic trip to the free throw line if he gets the ball low enough on the block. But you're leaving a lot on the table and not using him as a role man, I think. And even when like you play whoever it may be, TJ McConnell or who's not on the team anymore, or like Trey Burke, just run running high pick and roll with Embiid when he's, when he sets the high screen and then he just like darts to the basket. No one sucks in defenders, help defenders like Joel Embiid in those situations, but they just haven't really been able to run it as much as they would like to. Um, I think back to even just Jimmy Butler running it with him. And that could have been devastating. But then you have Simmons who's off ball and he's kind of clogging things up because he can't space the floor. So I, it's hard to see as good as they are and have been. Uh, you know, they were super competitive in that series against the Raptors. So shout out to them. And they could have easily won that series. It could have gone either way. Um, but... I just have a difficult time seeing them win four straight playoff series when they're so easy to uh, scheme against, right? Like you can scheme Ben Simmons out in certain ways and Embiid has yet to show also that he is. And one of the reasons why I'm, I'm down on this team in the bubble is just like Embiid's conditioning. A lot of players they're coming back. Well, every player is coming back from an unprecedented layoff. And this guy heading into this season, coming off the most devastating loss that he'll ever feel, was just like out of shape. <laughs> like, what is the motivation there when you are you're the last scene crying and Kawhi Leonard sends you packing and he comes back and I expected him to be a top five MVP candidate, maybe top three, just a physical force. And he's his numbers are just like static. It's like, what, what is happening? 
No, I'm with you. The only guy who's ever gone away with showing up out of shape and then playing himself into shape and winning championships is Shaq. So unless you're like Shaq and you're carrying your team to the finals and winning championships, uh, you know, I feel like that's just not setting a good standard uh, as the best player on the team. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, do you think this Al Horford signing is going to end up going down on all the worst free agency signings ever lists? It's it's not great. Uh, I think, uh, man, the Sixers have just bungled a lot of stuff since they fired Hinky, And, you know... I guess you could say they chose Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. And I think that in terms of just on court impact, that might've been a mistake, but Al Horford at, at a contract that like the Celtics were just straight up unwilling to pay. And the Celtics knew what he had left and what he could offer better than any team in the league. And the fact that they just were straight up unwilling to go over a certain number stubborn about it. Uh, should be like a, a, a telling marker. And then like Horford has been insistent on his whole career, including when he was in Boston and had tremendous success at the five, that he's not a center and he just doesn't want to play center, which I, I just don't understand players who feel this way. Um, and for him to just be that stubborn and go to a team that has the best center and then think that he can play the four when it's like, dude, you're a center. I don't know who like who is telling you you're not a center because you are and all your minutes in Boston where you were incredibly successful on offense were because you were at the five space in the floor and able to kind of access your elite passing ability for your position. So, yeah, it's just weird. And it's not really that difficult to understand why they've struggled and why he's just basically a spot up shooter now and he's not able to get the rhythm and the feel that he needs evidently when he's on the floor with Embiid and when he's on the floor with Simmons. So yeah, the money that they're paying him is a lot. I don't think that he's going to be better than what we saw uh, before the season was suspended. And as the years go, go on and his knees uh, endure more NBA minutes, he's not like all the chocolate milk that he's drinking is not going to save him. This is basically what I'm, where I'm going with that one. I'm just trying to find a scenario where by the third year of this contract, he's on the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau is playing him 45 minutes a game (laughs) as he's aging towards the end of his career. So it sounds like by all accounts, you don't really have uh, any kind of high hopes or expectations for the Sixers uh, in this bubble. No, I mean, they were, they were bad on the road this year, like bad to average, to be fair. They were excellent at home, very difficult place to play. And like off the top of my head, I don't know exactly what the splits are in reference to when Embiid didn't play, when Simmons didn't play, where they were and all that. But consistently, they were just like a juggernaut at home and they were bad to average on the road. Now they're going into a neutral setting and they still have the same incompatible pieces. And I... Yeah, I I would be I don't know why people think that all of a sudden just because we're coming off this layoff that they'll everything will click with them because they still have Horford who is coming off the bench <laughs> uh right before the season 
uh, was suspended. And uh, there's the Embiid question that I mentioned before regarding his conditioning and his health. And then there's Simmons not having a jump shot. He's not going to come into the bubble with like Reggie Miller's uh, three point percentage. So, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm still not uh, optimistic about the Sixers. All right. On to the Miami Heat. Where do you stand on Jimmy Butler? There's always this, you know, there's always one guy at work who just needs to let you know that he's always working. Um, and that's Jimmy Butler. Uh, didn't this man, somebody complained that he was dribbling his basketball uh, in his hotel room. And, you know, Jimmy Butler has been known to let people know that he's at the gym at 3 a.m. This guy's basically uh, if rise and grind culture uh, was a human being. And, you know, I- I'm still back and forth on whether I respect him on this. Where do you stand on Jimmy Butler's uh, work ethic and letting you know about it? If you're going to be as self-promotional as he is, you need to have the results and you need to be able to back it up. And he's indisputably backed it up. So, like, I have no problem with just about anything he says or does off the floor. Uh, And I think he's one of the more delightful characters in the NBA. And exciting characters, unless you're from Minnesota, you're probably not too fond of him. But uh, no, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's a, I'll say a top 12 player. I've just been saying 12 for some reason for a really long time, and I'm going to stick to it. Um, Top 12 player in the world. And I just think he's like really underrated. And I think that, you know, the Miami Heat as a pseudo contender I would view them a lot more favorably if Andre Iguodala was able to dribble past anyone and if they actually traded for Danilo Gallinari at the deadline I would I, I would you know venture to say that they are maybe the third I don't know third fourth best team in the east and maybe they are without that, those guys but yeah, getting back to Jimmy, just like he's he makes everybody around him better. He's truly selfless on the floor, and he you wouldn't think that because of uh, the statements that he make he makes and how egotistical they are. But like how he plays the game of basketball, he's always trying to prop up teammates. He's not in need of the basketball in his hands at all times, and he's super self sacrificial. So uh, like I I'm a huge fan of his and everything that he does. Yeah, you know, I know they're keeping a lot of uh, the medical information for certain players uh, private, you know, obvious, for obvious reasons. But is Bam Adebayo not with the team right now? I wow, feel like a, I heard that. That's a really good question. Um, I haven't seen anything about Bam in a while. And he's another reason why I love the Miami Heat and... I don't get to like, you can roll your eyes at heat culture and all that, but like, I think bam embodies it in all the best ways. And, and, but that's, I, I, I have not, you're kind of like, I, I had not seen anything about, it. I've been following him on Twitter for, you know, a while and all of his tweets are basically just day X of quarantine. And then a gif of him, like slamming, like someone slamming their head against a wall. So obviously he uh, like it wouldn't 100 percent shock me if he ventured out and tried to find like a pickup game in South Florida, which would be a humongous mistake. Um, So maybe that is an explanation, but I'm just like venturing for uh, a guess here. I have no idea. 
Yeah, yeah. I think I feel like someone mentioned him on a ESPN podcast um, about the fact that he's one of the players that are not there. But you know, without knowing more, I'm not going to speculate. Um, do you? So, do you feel like this Miami Heat team, as they're currently constituted, have a chance to give uh, some of the top teams in the East a problem in the playoffs? Maybe I. I it all goes back to like this overhead feeling that I have that this season we really, or I guess when the season resumes, it's really like hard to just immediately connect it to everything that we saw before, despite everything I said about why the Celtics are (laughs) a contender. Um, Like, I look at this Miami Heat team and like, I, why, like, why are we just assuming that after four months, four plus months, that a team like the Milwaukee Bucks will be a favorite? Like, I think that it's a, it's going to be a dead sprint almost to the finals in a way that you don't have the eighty-two games, the marathon of that, and then you're immediately just in the playoffs and you're grinding through the playoffs. I feel like this is a different kind of situation. And a team like Miami, which, uh, you know, they're they play this like brand of basketball that is so steeped in off ball cutting and screening and self-sacrifice and three point shooting. So if someone like Duncan Robinson, you know, uh, all of a sudden just gets super hot in a playoff series and you can't stop him. And when you try to stop him, you overload your defense so that a Kendrick Nunn or a Jimmy Butler or Goran Dragic can just go off attacking the basket, then I I don't know. Like, I wouldn't totally shock me 100% if Miami upset a team like the Bucks or uh, the Raptors. On to the Western Conference. My favorite team to talk about, the Houston Rockets. So, Michael Pina, do you think... The Rockets uh, went to this small lineup with P.J. Tucker playing the five without a center because Tillman Fertitta told Daryl Morey that he didn't want to pay centers anymore, and this was how the small lineup was accidentally born. It's a good theory. Uh, I I think it's steeped in more complicated factors than that. Um, I do think that... I mean, should I just be like... Oh, you're opening the forum for me to trash Tillman Fertitta. And I feel like you you want me to just be like a backboard and like spring it back on you and let you just go off right now. Is that kind of what you're secretly hoping I do? No, uh, you know, I just uh, have made an obligation to reference uh, how broke Tillman Fertitta is in every episode. So I, I've met my obligation with that comment. Uh, so we can move on. <laughs> I just want to say that in the outline you sent me was the specific question, why does Tillman Fertitta act so broke all the time? And I wrote a response, maybe because he is, question mark, which I just wanted to read out loud. Uh, The the main question that I have for everyone is, truthfully, do you think uh, you have more money in your bank account than Tillman Fertitta right now? (laughs) I think that's a legitimate question because uh, we know this man is highly leveraged and, you know, he's collecting delivery fees from NBA players right now. Um, just, just you know, my favorite uh, NBA plot line right now, Tillman Fertitta. Tillman Fertitta's money, not long. <laughs> Is that the name of this episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we might, we might have gotten it. 
um, or like Tillman Fertitta Finance Club. I'll think of something. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think Westbrook. Um, so Westbrook did announce that, you know, he tested positive for mm-hmm. COVID. Um, not James Harden, right? I want to get that right. I have not seen anything public about James Harden testing positive. He did arrive late to be at the hotel. I saw, thanks to the NBA bubble Twitter account, um, he showed up last night, late last night. Right. And, you know, what you can find online are photos of James Harden recently at a pool party. Um, But, you know, we don't need to speculate further. Um, Does this Houston Rockets team uh, intrigue you in terms of what they can do in the playoffs? Yeah, so... This is the third this was the third season in a row where I picked the Rockets to win it all. And I am stubbornly not getting off that opinion. And I understand how difficult it'll be for them to beat either the probably the Lakers in the second round would be the most likely opponent. It could be the Clippers. And those two teams are really difficult. But I just love the ingenuity of playing as small as they do all the time, but with players who are able to like perform big, like Robert Covington can block shots. He can protect the rim. He can get in passing lanes. He's super versatile. Uh, You can't really post up PJ Tucker and PJ Tucker just like straight up never takes a night off. And all these people understand their roles and everything is really clearly defined in terms of style of play and who's getting their shots when. And so when you add that to already having the best offensive player in the league, in my opinion, uh, in James Harden and a Russell Westbrook who is increasingly self-aware I think it's fair to say just strictly off of how he played uh, during the last couple months of the season where he's just like, I can't make three pointers, so I'm not going to take them anymore. I think that that's a recipe for success. And in a seven game series, when you have that type of uh, that uh, an offense that is that dynamic, uh, I just I think they need to be given a little bit more respect than most members of the media have given them. So you're going, sounds like you're going to talk yourself into picking the Rockets to upset the Lakers in the second round. No question. I'll be on that Island. I'll be on that (laughs) Island until they get eliminated. Yeah. I'm with the Rockets down with the ship. What is your favorite uh, Houston Rockets playoff collapse of the past decade? Great question. Um, <laughs> the mainstream pick would be uh, obviously the O for twenty seven, the twenty seven straight uh, misses from three against the Warriors. Honestly, they should have won that series. It's a shame that Chris Paul got hurt when he did. Yeah, but you know what? what a lot of people don't mention about that series is the fact that Andre Iguodala was injured right before that, and he was he was really impactful early on defensively, particularly against Harden. So I agree, and they they could have and they should have maybe won that series, but also because like their defense was so tremendous, and it was just like we're gonna get. It, it just kind of speaks to how unfair that Warriors team was, where it's like we're gonna force them to isolate, and then it's like oh wait, but they're gonna isolate with Kevin Durant, and he's just gonna rise up over PJ Tucker and hit these nineteen eighteen footers 
whenever he wants. And there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, so, so yeah, that collapse was pretty epic. Um, I think about I was at the series where in the game where Steve's team fucking Giants after uh, KD went down and they still defeated uh, the Rockets in that fourth quarter where Sean Livingston is like diving for loose balls and uh, Clay Thompson hit this ridiculous layup to win. I think it was game five of that series. And then everyone thought that because KD was not going to be available, that the Rockets would be able to finally beat them and (laughs) they didn't and uh that was chris paul that was like the end of that um experiment with chris paul and james harden uh where i I don't know that was very disappointing and then like i can go all the way back to the series against the spurs where they were blown out by like 30 plus and harden had like I don't know how many points he had. He might have had like more turnovers than points or more more turnovers than shots or something in a game that uh, Kawhi Leonard, when he was back on the Spurs, did not even play in. That was super disappointing. Um, There's a lot to choose from, to be be honest. And I'm probably a fool for picking them. This is now my third year in a row to win it all. Listen, man, you got to keep doing it until it works out. Sure. Uh, You have too much invested now. Exactly. And, you know, I just love the Rockets uh, in the playoffs because, uh, you know, they don't just get eliminated. It's always a very spectacular drama and dramatic. Yeah, no, it's a, and you know, I would, I would like one of these years for Mike D'Antoni to make the finals and win a championship. Maybe not with this team. I would love to see it as well. He's one of my favorite coaches. One of my favorite quotes, like journalistically, he's such a joy to talk to. Uh, he would basically be like imagining him winning it with a mask on would be because I think he's 69 years old, which is just like, uh, you know, it, thinking about someone entering a bubble with that that age who is that susceptible to COVID is really dark. But thinking about Mike D'Antoni holding up the championship trophy while wearing a mask would be incredible. And this thought just led me to another one, which is, do you think that the NBA will give the winner of the championship, like, you know, they pass out t-shirts and hats. Will there be NBA champion masks submitted around and then everyone will have to wear them? You mean the NBA is going to pass up on a potential uh, merchandising idea around a championship? Uh, No, for sure. I think it will be in many uh, colorways. Maybe they'll release masks (laughs) for every team that is in the playoffs. Um, I, I feel like they should um, really try to capitalize uh, on this uh, merchandising stuff. Um, I don't know if you saw like the Raptors uh, rolled in uh, into Disney World in their Black Lives Matter buses. I did see that. Yeah, um, I'm pushing them, uh, MLSE and the Raptors. They should release those as like a replica toy, like a replica toy bus um, and just donate all the money, uh, you know, to social justice causes listen man i think uh, merch opportunities are great you know hit, hit your boy ben golliver up if there's any exclusive merch in the bubble um I, I would like access to it he's gonna be hoarding all of it i'll tell you that right now um no not when he's uh not when he's double bed planking in his room <laughs> shout out to ben golliver uh, anything else you wanted to add about the rockets um no just that i hope everyone who listens to this remembers that if they do win it all you heard it here first yeah 
Uh, you, yeah, you're probably the only one. No, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that always talk themselves into the Rockets. Um, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, should we take the Nuggets seriously as a contender? Um, I believe they're third right now in the standings in the West and long term. Uh, what do you think about building a team around Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic? So short term, I th- I don't think we can call them a contender, but I will say. The thing about the, the Denver Nuggets that really interests me is, you know, going back to that issue of there being a four month disconnect between the games in March and the games that will happen starting July 30th. Uh, the Denver Nuggets have this like incredible continuity and this consistency among their starting five that I don't believe any other team in the league can match. And we're coming out of an offseason last year where a lot of the contenders really shuffled the deck. You know, the Clippers add two humongous players, high volume, high usage guys, Kawhi. Did you know Kawhi left the Raptors, by the way? No, where does he play now? So, yeah, he plays for the Clippers and oh, okay. Paul George yeah, is his teammate. I, I so you you have okay. this whole <laughs> you have this new nucleus in there. You have a new nucleus with Anthony Davis on the Lakers. Uh, you have Kemba Walker going to the Celtics. You have Pascal Siakam rising and uh, OG Ananobi rising um, in Toronto and Kawhi leaving. And you can go on and on. Uh, and stop on. trying to get followers. Stop trying to get followers <laughs> from Toronto. All right. Move it along. Um, and so uh, apologies. And so with Denver, it's like they have what they have. They are what they are. Uh they, you know, Paul Millsap at the four, Jokic at the five, Will Barton, Gary Harris, who kind of started to shoot the ball better before the season was suspended. Jamal Murray at the point position. Um, like they know how to play with one another. And so I think maybe hopefully for them, they'll be a little bit more seamless coming back than other teams just because they have built in continuity and chemistry that others don't. And, you know, maybe that is all foolish and none of it is really quantifiable. So it's really hard to say what matters and what doesn't. But uh, I just think when they particularly like when you trust someone, when you've known you've been through a playoff series with them, uh, you've suffered heartbreak beside them, uh, you know, they're they're what they like, what they don't like on the floor. You're able to communicate easier. Um and you know what makes them tick, all that. Like Denver has that down and don't need, doesn't need to really worry about it. So from that perspective, I think they have a little bit of a leg up on a lot of teams. But from the perspective of talent, uh, they just don't have enough of it. And I'm really curious to see what Jokic looks like 40 pounds lighter because a lot of what made him so great was his post-up game. And... Uh, that requires like girth and strength. And so if they're in the first round against say the Oklahoma city thunder, like Steven Adams, I don't think he lost 40 pounds. So you're kind of giving up a lot on the glass potentially there. And will be really fascinating to see how it affects his game. Uh, long-term. Like, I just think a lot of what they have going for them depends on Michael Porter jr. And his development. Paul Millsap is, uh, I believe a free agent this summer, if I'm not mistaken. And he's he's really capable in the role that they have for him, but he's also a little bit injury prone, obviously getting up there in age, declining in little areas. 
Michael Porter Jr. is the uh, the heir apparent there. And he looked really good at times this season and was really exciting and showed why a lot of people thought he could have been the number one pick before back surgery derailed his college career. So if he's able to even supplant Jamal Murray as like the second best player, I think then you have to talk about, oh, this this team is really fascinating and interesting going forward. And, you know, maybe when LeBron ages out and maybe Kawhi or PG leave the Clippers, maybe Denver is there to become the best team in that conference. I I don't know if that'll ever happen. You know, this is all theoretical, but uh, I think that they are right to continue on with what they have because what they have is really impressive. And Jamal Murray is a really impressive player. I don't think I would have given him the max as quickly as they did but I understand why they did it as a small market team. And they're really reliant on his growth, Jokic's growth, and Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, you know, unrelated, but you did mention Steven Adams. Uh, is there a player in the bubble that went from uh, a great situation to a worse situation more than Steven Adams? Because I think he was in New Zealand during... Yeah. Uh, the quarantine where they've done a really, really good job of handling uh, the virus. And now he goes back to the United States. That must've been a bummer for him. I think anyone who left the United States was forced to come back. Just big L's all around. I got to say, I would not have done that if I were them. And particularly, yeah, particularly New Zealand, like who I, the prime minister of New Zealand, her, her name is, slipping me right now i just wish that like if if aliens were to come and invade earth she would be like i wish she could just be the representative for all of us she's incredible i love everything about her yeah jacinda jacinda arden um she's mm-hmm. done such a great job and honestly um holding up like what new zealand has done versus other countries uh especially the united states um just <laughs> It's just embarrassing, you know, like seriously. Um, and, you know, they were talking about Toronto as a hub city at, at one point, you know, while they were trying to figure out this restart. And, you know, I personally didn't want uh, 22 teams and like people from the U.S., to be honest, like coming in mm-hmm. uh, to Toronto, especially since uh, the city has been doing a, a lot better in terms of managing it. And I mean, this is a whole separate conversation, but like they are a hub city for the NHL um, and that's happening in August, but I feel like the NBA players and there's so many of them that still, I know they enjoy Toronto and they praise Toronto, but I feel like a lot of them would not have signed off on just three months in Canada. I just feel like people still look at Canada um, as, as just like going to a completely foreign country, but it would have been hilarious if LeBron won a championship in Toronto. (laughs) Actually LeBron, this is the one I think I've put this out. Um, you know, in my Raptors conversations, like what, what would be worse LeBron winning uh, with the tournament being held at Drake's house or Kawhi winning his championship with the Clippers in Toronto? It's got to be Kawhi, right? Although honestly, when you win a title, like all that stuff is just petty nonsense. Like you've got the ring, you've got your crown, you had the parade, all of it, it will wash over you. I don't think there will be any pain felt by the fan base. You don't know um, how much hurt LeBron uh, left on this franchise. It's it still resonates today, man. I think I saw a Cleveland website drop these LeBronto short shorts last week. 
and I was very triggered. Uh, anyways, so a couple more teams left. Uh, same question for you with Utah as I had for Denver. Uh, you know, just in terms of their ceiling, uh, you know, do you see them as potentially being a contender in the West, uh, short term, long term? And the same question, you know, with uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Yeah, so I'm. I've been doing a lot of research with regards to Donovan in particular recently because I'm writing a piece about him. But I, I mean, it's it's tough to look at Utah and call them anything close to a contender right now. I think 538's projections have them at less than one percent chance of making the finals, and that seems about right, just because after the All Star break. Their net rating was between Phoenix and Atlanta. And Atlanta was, yeah, just, you know, the Atlanta Hawks. So I think there's a lot of issues there. Uh, on court, Bojan Bogdanovic, who is one of their better offensive players and better three-point shooters, just will not be playing because he had wrist surgery uh, a couple months ago. And so on court, you're already losing some real efficiency that will need to be picked up by the likes of Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, who is a total X factor to me. Maybe he'll look different. uh, Maybe not. Um, Joe Ingles and then Donovan Mitchell. So I don't know if that's enough. And the Rudy Gobert dynamic with Donovan seems still a little uh, questionable right now, particularly long-term. I don't, I don't know if they'll be able to figure everything out. And those guys have uh, are, are due for humongous paydays and whether or not it'll be tenable to lock both of them up long-term. So, I, I mean, they, I think they complement each other fine just as basketball players, where I think Gobert, when he's just worried about doing all the dirty work and he's worried about setting screens and rolling and not worrying about actually getting the ball, uh, he's incredibly effective. Defensively, there are matchup issues, of course. Like if they were to face off against the Rockets in the first round, I think that would be a 4-1, 4-0 type of series. Uh, And so I don't know if, Rudy Gobert is worthy of that type of investment or if they want to move on and just kind of restructure their their philosophy on both ends without him. Um, but yeah, it'll be really fascinating to see how it all turns out. And I, it's weird to say this also, but Donovan, I feel like he is a little, you know, he made his first all-star team, average like 24 a night, whatever. Um, he kind of is like a little disappointing to me and maybe that's like too harsh, but I don't know. What what are your thoughts about Donovan Mitchell? Like I thought he was going to be just this, like, like I I hate to bring up Jason Tatum again, slash I love to, but Jason Tatum year three made this leap where it was like, Oh, he's entering this different tier. He is, uh, you know, he went toe to toe with Kawhi Leonard in a double overtime game and won. he's clearly ascended as the best player on a championship contender. Donovan, maybe it's because he's 6-1. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, I I was expecting him to take that type of leap, and I don't think it's fair to say that he did. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that, because it was his rookie season when they beat, I want to say, did they beat the Thunder in the first round? 
Yes. That was the series, right, where they went up against uh, Westbrook and Paul George. I want to say that's the series when Paul George called himself Playoff P. And, uh, you know, the, the general rule is don't give yourself a nickname in the first round. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know what it is about Donovan Mitchell. I mean, you look at the stats. He averages, like, what, around, I want to say, like, 25 points a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoots, like, 45% from the field. But, yeah, there is something lacking about him, and I'm not sure what it is. You know, hopefully you'll be able to tell me uh, when I read your story because, you know, you're one of the best writers in the game. Everyone check out Michael Pina's work, you know, GQ, New York Times. Even read his old SB Nation work. Um, you know, always enjoyed that. Shout-outs to SB Nation. You like how I worked in a plug for you in the middle of nowhere? I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, yes. Yeah, I've never been, like, a huge fan of Donovan Mitchell. He was, like, drawing comparisons to, like, what, Dwayne Wade, mm-hmm. like, early on in his career. Um, you know, And I, Dwayne Wade I, was, I like need- yeah, Dwayne Wade was, like, year three, uh, finals MVP averaging, like, 30 a game. Yeah, 30 free throws uh, per game uh, in the NBA Finals. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think, I feel like the Jazz have always, you know, gone a bit of, like, buzz. Well, they were getting a lot of buzz coming into this season uh, in terms of, like, they got so much buzz that they just stopped being, like, a dark horse team. Like, everybody was just talking about them. And, you know, I think overall, like, based on some of the stats that you put out there, too, like, they've been uh, largely disappointing. And I'm just not sure... Um, you know, Mitchell and Gobert, if long-term you can build something around that. And that's not, you know, that's considering that they still want to play together with each other. I do want to stop hearing about this Mitchell-Gobert thing. You know, I, I know they're both, uh, you know, above average players. You know, Rudy Gobert, obviously, um, one of the best defensive players in the league. But this is not a Shaq and Kobe situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it deserves a Shaq Kobe level uh, uh, coverage is all I'm saying. Anytime there's beef, though, like people are going to eat it. And they both did make the all star team in the Western Conference. So that's like not nothing. Right. And like they're both very good players. I'm just saying you're not breaking up Shaq and Kobe if you split them up. No, I mean, it's you're not. And I think that the case can easily be made by a smart person as to why they should for their long term health. But yeah, I'm not going to make that case today. Yeah. So last team, uh, just quickly want to give a shout out to the Oklahoma City Thunder, just because I really enjoyed watching them this season. And also shouts to Chris Paul. Uh, making Darius Baisley like do push-ups when they played cornhole the other day, like second day into the bubble. Uh, this man, you know, has it's been six months he's, since he's been able to annoy his teammates in person. <laughs> and right away, he's like, yo, you got to do push-ups. Uh, I love Chris Paul, man. Uh, anything you want to say about this Thunder team? Uh, before we get to the Thunder, I want to just quickly say that uh, I really uh, appreciated that Chris Paul was trending like 20 <laughs> seconds after news broke that there had been anonymous reports to the NBA's like hotline where players are supposed to self-report one another for breaking the rules of quarantine. <laughs> like, that is. Well, well, here's, here's the thing. I, I know the season has been suspended and that's been, seems like so long ago, but this year Chris Paul won a game because he pointed out someone didn't tuck their Jersey in. Right. He did do that. Yeah. No facts are facts. Um, and yeah but like back to basketball for two seconds um this was one of my favorite teams this year to watch and chris paul 
like the season that he had is just solidifies to me his absolute greatness. And, uh, you know, like one of the best point guards straight up of all time. And for him to go into a situation where it's like, clearly you're going from a championship contender to this team that is ostensibly just going to rebuild and took on your contract and, uh, you know, needed to, the, the Rockets needed to basically shed first round picks to get off of you. And for him to just like accept that and take it in the most professional possible way and make the best of it, where, you know, him, he's taking Shea Gilgis Alexander under his, under his wing. He's not beefing with Dennis Schroeder, who has beefed with other point guards on his teams in the past. Uh, he's making everybody around him better. And you didn't really hear any complaints because that team was winning and exceeded expectations like nobody's business. And for him to also be kind of the spearhead of this three guard lineup that I loved watching and was so great in crunch time. Uh, and he was so great in crunch time, just still getting to that right elbow pull up whenever he wanted at 35 years old, 35 years older, however old he is. It's just so impressive, man. And like the jokes will fly because he kind of brings them on himself in a lot of ways, but you got to respect just everything about this dude as a basketball player. And I still love watching him play more than like 95% of the league. Yeah. And I feel like the jokes are almost born out of a respect now, at least uh, from some people. And I think from, from me, it's just, you know, respect his uh, competitiveness a lot Mm -hmm. and, and just what he's been able to do this season, like you mentioned with the thunder uh, has been impressive. And you talk about earlier how, you know, obviously the rotations shorten in the postseason. I mean, they've got such a great five-man lineup, closing lineup that they can roll out there with the three guards. Um, You know, I'm definitely picking them to beat a Denver or Utah in the first round if that's the matchup they get slotted into. I like your boldness, even though I don't even think, yeah, I I might agree with you, honestly. Like, I think think Utah is, there's an opportunity for, for them to beat a team like Oklahoma City or a team like Denver in the first round. And I think all three of them are kind of just on the same level playing field, honestly, in terms of just talent and the type of uh, productivity that we've seen from them on both sides of the ball. But, uh, but yeah, like the fact that we're even having this conversation about OKC, thinking back to when they traded PG, when they traded Westbrook, uh, it's it's like nothing short of remarkable. And uh, that that last, you know, five minute lineup that they'll play in crunch time with those three guards, Gallo at the four, who's just like perfect in that spot. And then Steven Adams at the five. It gives you everything that you need uh, in the modern NBA. So like shout out to them. Shout out to Billy Donovan for uh, getting that lineup to work and getting everybody to buy in. And yeah. Big fan of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, well, before we wrap up, uh, you know, having not, you know, been able to see what these teams look like after a long layoff, uh, Michael Pina, let's hear your predictions of uh, which four teams are going to make the conference finals uh, and the finals and and your prediction for NBA champion. Wow. Um, Putting me on the spot here. I guess I'll start in the Western Conference where I'm just going to say I got to pick the Rockets. I, I think that uh, 
I think they they beat the Lakers in round two because I don't know how they're going to beat the Lakers because LeBron is just such a stud. But um, Rockets, Clippers, I guess, will be the 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 conference finals, um, and in that and that side of the bracket, and then in the East, man, like I just that Raptors Celtics second round series, like we never we have never seen those two teams square off in a playoff series. I have no idea who's going to come out of that. I think, I mean, I'm just going to give the slight edge to the Celtics because I'm me. But before the season went to, you know, this neutral site, like I basically was just thinking whoever was going to get the two seed would who and get home court was going to win that series in seven. That was kind of like the fair assumption to make. And the Raptors are in all likelihood going to get the two seed, although it's possible that the Celtics catch them because the Raptors schedule seems dicey. But again, who knows what is a dicey schedule? Um, So I'm going to say the Celtics will advance to the conference finals and face off against the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm going to say that the Celtics beat the Bucks in the conference finals and then lose to the Rockets in the championship. Wow. A Houston Boston finals would be hilarious. Yeah. First of all, if the Lakers lose in the second round, that is also going to be hilarious because uh, 95% of the reason why this tournament is happening is because of LeBron. LeBron wants to go for his fourth championship. <laughs> so uh, for them to not even get to the conference finals, oh man, that would be hilarity. Um, listen, man, I got my first 15 tweets for Celtics Raptors game one already scripted. I bet um, you do. Basically the Bill Belichick of Twitter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ready for it. So I honestly can't wait for that. Uh, we need that. And, you know, honestly, uh, I respect uh, the energy that you're bringing towards uh, the Houston Rockets. I would, I want to say that I hope Tillman Fertitta is paying you, but we all know that is not happening. Uh, and that's the perfect <laughs> place to wrap up. Thank you, Michael Pina, for coming on the podcast. Stay safe in New York and we'll talk soon. Thank you, my guy.